Looking to make a game with wide appeal, a team of developers at Midway wanted to make a sports game inspired by an older arcade game described as a basket brawl game. What they came up with was an over-the-top, fast, and exciting arcade game that eventually grossed over $2 billion. Today, we're going to look back at the arcade basketball phenomenon known as NBA Jam. So stick around and join us for today's all the way downtown trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 85th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, The Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one game relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week, we are looking back at NBA Jam, originally released as an arcade cabinet in April of 1993. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who is currently on fire, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what's it like to be on top of the world? Well, Dave, actually being on top of the world, there's no atmosphere, so there's no way for a fire to be happening. So I'm not on fire, I just am fire. So get it right. So I misunderstood the type of fire that you're on. Apparently, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, well, that's a shame. Pretty, pretty atmosphereless, but hey, not a lot of oxygen, but on the plus side, almost zero traffic. Not a lot of oxygen. Is that why you're so dumb? Uh, you learn how to adapt, overvise, adapt, adapt, over. See, there it is. Adapt, Got improvise, it. and overcome. Wow. <laughs> Holy brain fart. Yeah, that's a lack, lack of, of oxygen. oxygen. <laughs> there it is. Lack of oxygen. It'll get you, folks. Got him. Well, it's thunderstorming behind me, so if you hear a big crack, that's cool. And what are you playing these? What, what you been playing? Well, Dave, this week saw a little bit of Rocket League. Ooh. Some Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duels. Ooh. Uh, I played a little bit of World of Warships. Uh, okay. Yeah, everyone's got their thing. Uh-huh. And some of the good old Apex Legends. I think that's okay. it. Okay. Um. Yeah. No. I, uh. That 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 seems to be all that I've played. How about yourself, Dave? Rocket League, Forza, Guardians of the Galaxy, and what else? Guardians of the Galaxy. I played a few hours of our topic for next week, which I'm not going to give away yet. Because I have never played it before. And it's on my list of games I'd like to play. So I started it already. So I could knock it out in time for next week's episode. And I also upgraded my computer this week. And so I had to put it through its paces. And so a bunch of really pretty games I dabbled in for a moment. Like, I don't know, all of them. But Cyberpunk was probably the, the, the bulk of it. There's a bunch of ray tracing games. There's only a handful of those. Well, that sounds like a lot. I mean, it was pretty exciting on the new graphics card. Yes. Yes, I did. I I finally upgraded to a ray tracing graphics card. And as my wife put it, you spent all that money for that. (laughs) It's not like it's night and day. I mean, this is more of a future proof purchase. You know, I, I had a graphics card that was, what, five years old, six years old. So mm-hmm. I could still play games, just not really on high, the highest graphics settings. And now I can tear through everything. But it's not like, I don't know, I guess she expected like next generation graphics kind of thing. And while it is, it's just not night and day, if that makes any sense. You know, I don't I know. Mean, to be fair, how much better can it get? Well, so when you go to ray tracing and um, 
DLSS, which is all like the specifics of modern graphics cards. First of all, DLSS, it's more about performance and, um, you know, maintaining really pretty graphics while being able to play at higher frame rates, so smoother. But really with ray tracing, it's all in the details, like, you know, the way the lights bounce off things and reflections and puddles glass reflects and is translucent at the same time that's a that's a unique difference it's all these finer details that you you don't need to play the game and really unless you're looking for them you they probably aren't going to smack you in the face but that that doesn't make them not cool you know so i mean but i can pretty much turn all the games on ultra graphics and still play them at a high frame rate so that's nice so I'm pretty jealous about that one, Dave. Yeah, well, you know. But anyway, well, you know what's funny, though? Because I probably spent the most time on next week's next week's gaming topic. Next week's gaming topic came out, I don't know, over 10 years ago. So here I am with this, you know, state-of-the-art upgrade to my computer, finally, that I've been saving up for, looking forward to. And I'm playing, like, PlayStation graphics, you know? <laughs> So. Yeah, hey, it is what it is. And we also <laughs> played like Terraria and things that arguably are like Nintendo of like, 64, actually earlier than that. You know, we have a Terraria episode coming up in the next month, I believe. Oh, wow. Fancy that. It's like I'm foreshadowing. Ooh, we'll have to and play. You can also find out more about what episodes we have coming up on our calendar at www.memorycardlane.com. Look at you doing a plug. Good on you. Yay. All right, well, uh, what's, uh, so today, NBA Jam, one of the probably most popular modern arcade cabinets after the golden age of arcades. You spent a lot of time, A, have you ever played it as an arcade cabinet? I believe I have found this or something similar to it at least once at an arcade when I was younger, uh, but it did not really interest me that much. And so, so you probably uh, never played it either as a console game. Oh, definitely never as a console game. I, I, like I said, I'm pretty confident that it was this or just something very similar that I played at an arcade, but it didn't give me much, much uh, joy. So I didn't play it for more than, you know, that one game. Um, and then I, that just never that much into basketball, to be honest. So even the games on consoles never piqued my interest too much. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about Midway Games. Uh, Midway Games is the developer and publisher of NBA Jam. We've never really had an opportunity uh, before to look at them in depth because there were other stories that were a little bit more prominent any other time we've touched on them, and we'll kind of cover that in a second because you'll recognize other Midway titles as we talk about this. So the Midway Manufacturing Company was founded in 1958. They were an independent manufacturer of amusement equipment. So basically they made coin-operated games, but not video arcades, not coin-operated video games the way you and I think of, of coin-op games. These are more like electromechanical games, like your early pinball machines, you know, those little um, air rifle games you see at the, the fair, for instance, Little mini puck bowlers that would be like arcade machines where you could play, you know, mini bowling ball. I'm sure they still have things like that. Chuck E. Cheese's. Uh, oh, I don't know. I haven't been to one in forever. <laughs> so, you know, these were all, like I said, these were games. They were just mechanical games, not video games. Video games didn't come until the 70s, as we've talked about. So, yeah. So they made all this amusement equipment and basically... They did it through the 60s, and then in 1969, they were bought out by their biggest competitor, who was Bally. Now, Bally was known for, aside from amusement equipment, slot machines. They were the largest manufacturer of slot machines, and if there's anything we know about gambling, it's that it's plentiful and worth a lot of money. So, they owned slot machines i mean anywhere you would went that there was gambling there was a bally machine and they used all this wealth to bring midway into their company and so it goes that it should come as no surprise that in 1973 
when video games, uh, video arcades rather, finally came out, Midway was one of the early makers of arcade games in the United States. Now, early on throughout the 70s, this was a close relationship. They did this through a close relationship they had with Taito, who they published Taito games in North America, and Taito published uh, Midway games in Japan. And it was this relationship that gave Midway its breakthrough success. It, it was this relationship that made Midway a household name when they published Taito's smash hit Space Invaders uh, on North American soil in 1978. Now, Space Invaders, we've kind of touched on. It's one of the games that ushered in the golden age of arcades. So basically, Midway became synonymous with the success of the golden age of arcades. This continued in 1980 when they licensed and became the United States distributor of Pac-Man. Now, we've done a Pac-Man episode in the past. You can go on our website and you can check it out. But, you know, they basically, between Space Invaders and Pac-Man, Midway Midway was, was one of the companies, you know? Now, in 1982, Bally merged its pinball division with Midway, and the company become, became known as Bally Midway. There are a lot of games that were published as Bally Midway games. Throughout the golden age of arcades, Midway was one of the, if not the, leading producer of video game arcade cabinets in the United States. If you look at the Midway catalog, it literally reads like a who's who of popular arcade titles that they distributed over here in the United States. Asteroid, Galaxian, Galaga, Pac-Man, Mrs. Pac-Man, Rally X, Space Invaders, just to name a few. And they contributed to the Golden Age of Arcades with plenty of original games that they created, not just licensed. So some of the original games that Midway made included Tron, Spy Hunter, Tapper, which we've done an episode on, Rampage, Arch Rivals, the Terminator 2 cabinet, which is awesome and still around these days, Mortal Kombat, which we've done a little uh, talk on in one of our early episodes, and Revolution X, which we talked about earlier this year in our music episode. So uh, literally all these, so many of these are just iconic, iconic, iconic arcade titles. And this was all Midway. I mean, Midway was Midway was literally one of the guys. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know a few of those cabinets, huh? I honestly know well maybe not as cabinets but i know i'm trying to think of one that i don't at this point arch rivals yeah well we're going to talk about arch rivals now okay in just well, a moment that that's the only one and maybe revolution x that one doesn't sound too familiar but ma- ma- we, that- you, we talked about that in the music game that was the aerosmith weird game where aeros oh. the shooter game with aerosmith yeah, yeah, okay. Nope, yep. Now that you, you mentioned that, I remember. I just couldn't remember the name of it, apparently. But yeah, well, then, that, then our trials is really the only one. And, well, uh, Terminator 2 and Revolution X are very similar. They're both cabinet, stand-up cabinets that have like a machine gun mounted in right. the front of them. Yeah, I know the one you're sh- talking. Yeah, I've I never played those, so that's kind of yeah. why it doesn't stick. I've played everything else. Um, but you're right, Terminator 2 and Revolution X and our trials. Yeah. So let's spend a moment on our rivals because it's honestly the one that's more so relevant to today's topic than anything. Our rivals was a two-on-two full-court basketball game that was released by Midway in 1989. In our rivals, players are encouraged to punch opposing players and steal the ball from them. In fact, it was taglined as a basket brawl. It was called Arch Rivals Basket Brawl. Um, okay, that that sounds like something I could get behind. I mean, yeah. I love the hell out of those ones that we played uh, for Xbox. I can't currently think of the name. Xbox. The football ones. Oh, NFL Blitz. Is that it? Yeah, NFL Blitz. The one with the brawling? The one with the brawling. Wasn't it NFL Blitz? It's the one where you can break bones and stuff, too. I don't think that's NFL Blitz. A, a football game that you brawl? Yes, you're talking about the right game, Dave. That's not NFL Blitz. That's not at N- all. It's NFL Blitz. Not the one I'm talking about. That's okay. a PlayStation game. They made NFL Blitz for like the Xbox 360 on too. 
take a look. See what it is. I could be wrong. I'm not perfect. Huh. Doesn't look like the same thing I'm remembering, but all right, I'll take your word for it. Cool. But I don't remember it having the NFL tag on it. I mean, it, it didn't it didn't really have licensed players, if that's what you're thinking. No, but it wouldn't. But it was NFL. It, it was NFL Blitz. Uh, NFL Blitz was the. So it was just called Blitz the League Two, and that's why I didn't realize that it was an NFL title. Oh, I gotcha. Well, originally it was NFL Blitz, and so that's the series. It, it actually, we'll, we'll talk about that shortly, actually, because we touch on those. Uh, we touch on those in the legacy as we talk about the legacy of this game. So, so our tribal's basket brawl stuck with a lot of people including one of the lead designers and programmers in Midway's development studios called Mark Termel. So Termel had just come off of a project called Total Carnage, which I'm going to assume you've probably never heard of. No, can't say that I have. So Total Carnage was a multi-directional shooter. It's kind of what we call nowadays a twin stick shooter, but this is this is before there were twin sticks. You basically had a uh, one joy. You had a joystick to move and a button to shoot. So not really where like now you have a stick to shoot, but that's the most modern relation I could make. Total carnage. I mean, all I can really say about it was that it, it was really expected to do well by midway. Um, Termel and the rest of the team that made total carnage were kind of had a pedigree behind them. They had just made a really popular video game called smash TV. Now, have you ever heard of Smash TV? No, haven't heard of that one either. Okay, so Smash TV is another multi-directional shooter. It was it's actually a really cool one. I love Smash TV. It's a, a it's a game show in the future where people compete like for their life type deal. And so basically like it's a multi-directional shooter where you have all these things coming at you and you got to shoot your way out of an arena, but it masquerades as a as a as, as a television show and so it's got that campiness that you know game show hosts typically have and stuff like that um it's really kind of dark and twisted if you think about it and and that formula has kind of been done in movies too i guess you could say i think the movie gamer is kind of the same concept right uh sure i don't know i don't think i've seen gamer oh okay well that one's got jared butler in it i'm pretty sure it's a similar deal but anyway so anyway they made they made smash tv and Smash TV was a success, so they tried to recreate the formula with a different story, different everything in a game called Total Carnage. And everyone expected Total Carnage to do really well, but it, it didn't. It, it failed commercially. It failed critically. It just, it just for whatever reason, Total Carnage fell on its face. And so after Total Carnage, Termel decided that he wanted to design a game with wider appeal. You know, these multi-directional shooters were a, a kind of a niche category. I mean, we don't play them, you know? Yeah, definitely not. And so he wanted to create something wider appeal and he, he wanted to mix digitized graphics that they had just started to use in some of Midway's previous titles. Uh, they wanted to use digitized graphics to create another title similar to Arch Rivals. And so the thought was, is that they make an NBA basketball game. And so Midway went to the NBA to get a license and initially, the NBA was not on board. They looked at it, and they felt that an arcade game was not right for the NBA brand. Now, I don't really know what is right for the NBA brand, uh, you know, but, you know, that wasn't. However, Midway was really persistent about the situation, and eventually they were able to persuade the NBA uh, to to license the game. If I remember correctly, I forgot to put this in my notes, but I believe the a dollar amount was a hundred dollars for each unit sold. So that's what that's what it cost them to license this game. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I when I say unit sold, think about the fact that this was originally an arcade title. Now, if we're thinking about it in game like sixty dollar games, they'd already be underwater. Uh you know, when they bought the game, but we're talking arcade cabinets at the time. So things were a little different. So the pitch to, to the NBA by midway was different than what the game is that we know today. In one of midway's original pitches, they promised a bunch of features that never made their way into the final version of NBA jam. These include different camera angles, 
tips from coaches, instant replays, and a first-person view on fast breaks. So basically, I guess they kind of pitched this as closer to a normal basketball game, but it ended up not being a normal basketball game, right? Right. As it turns out, there were a lot of ideas, and they came from just about everywhere. So Termel, for his part, had really only gotten as far as knowing that he wanted to do spectacular dunks, and he wanted to do two-on-two basketball like arch rivals. For instance, it was another member of the team that suggested giving players attributes. You know, different players have different strengths and weaknesses. That was another member of the team's suggestion. And little by little, team members kept contributing to the game to piece it together. And what we have is what we know of today as NBA Jam. So, Rob, what is NBA Jam? Like, I mean, you said you've only played it once, right? Correct. It's a two-on-two basketball game. Fair statement. That it is. It was one of the first play real playable basketball arcade games. It was one of the first games ever to feature the NBA license. And it was almost definitely the first basketball game to use real digitized likenesses of the players. They invited some professional players and some street ballers to their studio and they recorded video of them and then they digitized those likenesses to put into the game. Now what makes NBA Jam so special for those of you that don't know the game is that it's not really a basketball simulation, not a traditional basketball game. It's really an arcade style basketball game that has an exaggerated gameplay. You know, players can jump way over the rim and and slam back down to dunk spectacular dunks from the rafters you can shove and elbow your opponents like arch rivals kind of brawling i mean truthfully the the normal rules of basketball they don't even apply there's no fouls there's no free throws there's really no other violations there's a shot clock and i think the half court rule applies maybe not even half court rule applies maybe traveling applies but there's really barely any rules. Well, Dave, it's just the NBA Street Ball Edition. It, no, it, 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 in a lot of ways, it is. it is. It is, I know, man. When players scored three baskets in a row, uh, if I remember correctly, they were on fire. They literally turned like were flame, and then their shots, they would get faster, and their shots would be super accurate. Um, and so there were a lot of really cool things, you know. I... I, I I played NBA Jam. I used to go to the arcade and play NBA Jam. When it first came out, it was a novelty. It was a lot of fun, too. I mean, you could literally jump from half court to dunk on people. And the gameplay was fast. The gameplay was furious. I don't know why I just said fast and furious, but hey, there it is. Um, It it was a lot of fun. It was was different. It was very different. And it was a lot of fun. Dave, what? when you can do a super high half-court dunk on someone in life, you don't have to do it in a video game. Very true. But I'll tell you, so one of the things that I remember, and a lot of people probably remember most fondly about the game, were its Easter eggs. They had a lot of cheat codes. They differed between different versions of the game. So the arcade version had a big head mode, which which I, honestly kind of speaks for itself. I think there was like where you could another one of the console versions that you could turn like the the rink into like an ice rink. So there was no grip. It was hilarious. But I remember my favorite part was there was a ton of hidden players. You know, in the arcade version, it was a few made up basketball players and all of the developers, not all of developers, but like a handful of developers you could play as, including Mark Termel. Um some of the Stephen Howard was one of the basketball players they digitized. He was on there and there was another basketball player. He was a street baller that they brought in. He was on there too. I can't think of his name right now, but the, the the guys that they use to digitize became hidden players. Uh, in the home versions, as this game was ported, it was eventually ported to everything. I remember playing it on super Nintendo. I think uh, at the time you could also play as, president bill clinton you could play as first lady hillary clinton and you could play as vice president al gore and if i remember correctly in one version uh funk master uh george um oh god what's his name um 
what's the guy with the crazy hair? Uh, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Not really, no. Funkmaster, like old guy, dreadlocks, glasses, always plays funk music. George Clinton. Is it George Clinton? George, uh, someone's going to roast me for not remembering. Uh, and yeah, he, I think this is a little before my time, Dave. You don't listen to funk music at all? Uh, not. Okay, maybe, well, maybe that's okay. Or, It's not really my jam, nothing against it. Um, yeah, so anyways, there was a lot of a lot of hidden players uh, between them. There were a lot of hidden players that got knocked out, too. At one point, they were going to bring Bart Simpson into the game. He got knocked out. Uh, I think the Grim Reaper, they knocked out once because the uh, one of the companies didn't want it. There was an Elvis clone. Uh, I forgot who else. Some of the Mortal Kombat characters made it in. Others were knocked out eventually. So there was all these weird characters you could bring it into it, which made it pretty cool. Because normally it was just basketball players, like basketball players, you know, they, they license some of the likenesses. They license some of the likenesses for all the sport teams. Although there were some popular players that were not in there, like uh, Michael Jordan, for instance. Michael Jordan still played then, but Michael Jordan owned his own likeness. He had bought it from the NBA. Uh, I think Shaq did too. And so they weren't in it. Although Shaq later was in it, became a, a hidden character or something like that. And then eventually, cool side note, they they made a copy of the game with Jordan in it, and it, only Jordan has a copy. There's exactly one copy of the game. He's the only one who has it, and it's got him in it. There was one other basketball player they did that too, who I can't remember at the moment. Um, That's pretty interesting, actually. Want to know something else really interesting when we're on the topic of Easter eggs? What's that, Dave? So Mark Termel is from Michigan. He graduated with his degree from Ferris State University. And in an interview in 2008, he confirmed a really long-held suspicion that everyone had that the game had a bias against the Chicago Bulls. Hmm. So Termel is a Detroit Pistons fan, like a lot of us from Michigan. And he programmed the game in such a way that the Bulls would miss last-second shots in, in close games against the Pistons. So, Wow. That's... Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? That's, oh, one, that's, good. that's one of those weird ones. Uh, that's good, actually. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was very specific, right? It's not like they would always lose, but they would miss last-second shots in close games against one another. That's how it was specifically programmed. So I mean, hey, that's a small thing. Just don't play the Pistons, baby. You won't have to worry about it. I know, I know. Or getting embarrassed. But hey, on to the game again. Well, that's that's about it, to be honest with you. I, I I don't know. Like I said, I used to play this in arcades. It was a lot of fun. It was fast. It was it was fast and fun gameplay. And the most popular one was called the Tournament Edition. It was an upgraded version to the original. came out, I think, a year later. And it could support four players. If I'm not mistaken, eventually they made an eight-person version of this game at the, like, cabinet-wise. Like, one of those huge ones. How, well, how does that work? Is it like super long? Or yeah, it- yeah, yeah. It's got a really big exaggerated, uh, exaggerated uh, uh, joysticks, uh, you know, and a bar- large screen. This is way later on, like when 60 inch screens were invented type deal. I'm pretty sure that's the modern version that they have a much bigger version. You know, more people can play with a big screen. But originally it was four people and it was just it was one of those that was just a lot of fun to go to the arcades and do all this exaggerated crap. And there's another one of those that I, I I always remember people being at this one playing it, which were, which I, you know, I guess you're going to be able to talk about in just a second. So, but that's pretty much, I think with that, yeah, that's a good segue into our user reviews. Good call. So what'd you find for us today? Well, I was able to find one person's opinion on NBA jam while surfing the web. And yes, that that's one, one, just one, just one. Um, you know, it, it's always tough to find people's opinions from before the internet was popular. Yeah, uh, like age. Which, I know. I mean, you're quite familiar with yourself, so you get it. I, I do know, get it. These tablets, just all the stone tablets that these reviews were written on, just fell and broke. That's true. Very true. Well, what did you find? Well, we have Zovni on Moby Games who calls NBA Jam a hyperkinetic basketball frenzy. Okay. Very, you know, I'm not really sure 
I'm, I'm, I guess we'll get into it. Yep. So he said that I've always thought that the most sport games appeal mostly to these people that wouldn't be caught dead participating in that sport and instead prefer to somehow bathe in all that gladiatorial glory that showbiz had splashed on sports event. I mean, one doesn't want to simulate a basketball game. One wants to bring down an entire stadium as Jordan. <laughs> Ironic that this is one player that's not in this game, but carry on. <laughs> That's regardless of whether a ball is involved or not. NBA Jam sort of proves that theory for me and stands today as the first game that somehow realized this and simply left any simulation pretense and gave you the gaming equivalent of an endgame highlights showcase. In short, all the action, all the stars, none of the hassle. True statement. Continues on to say that the gameplay on the court is completely jacked up to arcade levels. Characters just fly through the screen as if on wheels, and that's without using the turbo gauge every player has. You know, just as in real life. You can shoot hoops from any part of the screen with a simple button and pass it or push. An injure. Yay! Another. An opponent with another. The fun part happens with all the unique and outlandish dunks you can perform with button combinations, which amount to very gratifying money shots. You can fly and spin through the air, break the board, and even make the ball explode and then turn into an unblockable fireball. Cheesy? Yeah. Unrealistic? Of course. But you know what? It's fun. The game just exudes an arcadey charm that transcends its basketball sim roots and make it an original fast-paced game that is a blast to play on your own and even greater when played co-op or against a friend. Okay. However, it could get old real fast. Unless you make a constant use of its multiplayer capabilities, you won't get much fun out of the limit arcade and tournament modes. After all, there's really nothing that lifts the game up from being a simple arcade game with equally simple gameplay. NBA Jam is a fast and entertaining arcade game that barely resembles the sport it's based on, but makes a fun diversion nonetheless. Don't ask too much of it, and you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And as always, much, much better when played with friends. I agree with that last statement. It's like most games, and I think multiplayer gaming is is the dominant form of gaming nowadays. That wasn't always the case. It is much, much better with friends, but I disagree that it's a game that barely resembles the sport. I think it very much is the sport, but exaggerates. It's not like it's exaggerating football or exaggerating racing or something like that. It's exaggerating basketball. It very much resembles basketball. So I I don't kind of like that, but um, I will say that I think that his statement, you know, the game is a simple arcade game with equally simple gameplay. I think that was the alert, to be honest with you. It wasn't like, you know, the other game that was really popular at the time was Mortal Kombat. With Mortal Kombat, you had to have really fast reflexes and and learn all these, the freaking button combinations and, you know, move sets and things like that. You know, so, I mean, that was complicated. You know, for someone who didn't practice, you'd walk up to multiplayer and, and just get the floor wiped with you. But NBA Jam is really just a couple of buttons and moving around the court. And, I mean, it was really easy to pick up and just a lot of fun to be... Com- it was really fun to pick up and be competitive. It was easy to be competitive because the way the game's designed. So, it's kind of like... I, I think I like Rumble when we play Rocket League, to give an example... You know, because it's the same style. It's something we like, but exaggerated, right? Yeah, um, that's a fair way to put it. And Rumble, I feel, is very much like the great equalizer sometimes because of the way Rumble's played with the with the with the power ups and everything. Sometimes it's it's very easy. Sometimes you can just get luck with the power ups. Luck can override the skill. I guess it is, you know. Yeah. And NBA Jam is very very much like that, to where like. Sometimes you can just get lucky, lucky breaks, or you can hit that half-court shot or hit that super dunk, and you don't really have to have the reflexes and everything. It's just it's just you pick up 
you hit buttons and you play and it was a lot of fun to do so so I, I i do agree with that i actually think that's the draw of it is how simple it is so yeah cool hell yeah dave what else you got that was it dave that was it no critic reviews i mean <sighs> yeah i know it's it's the arcade. It's 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 the age of arcades. Every time we do an arcade cabinet, I talk about how it's impossible, absolutely impossible to find anything a review or review or really period review wise from that period. So I'm, I'm not really surprised you struggled to find anything. So, yeah. But, you know, while we can't really find any critic feedback on. While we can't find any critic feedbacks on this game, we can find a little bit of feedback on some ports of this game. Yeah. But instead, I thought today we'd take a look at its commercial success. Yeah, stick to the cabinet. Why not? So what what tell our listeners just cuz we always talk about the the legacy that the the games left behind. How big of a game was NBA Jam? Well, Dave, from April of 93 through the summer of 93, it topped the monthly arcade publication charts. Okay. Its U.S. revenue in 93 is reported to have exceeded the $300 million domestic box office gross for Jurassic Park, which was a huge film that year. Isn't that so that's not the first time we've seen a statistic like that. Uh, I believe we talked about it with other arcade titles when we were talking about the golden age of arcades. And we talked about how on almost any given year during the golden age of arcades, the domestic gross of the arcade market exceeded the hollywood market which kind of floored the both of us didn't it yeah absolutely um but it seems that it was more common than we thought apparently so and you know it was definitely the highest grossing arcade game of 1993 altogether and at one point it was said that each individual machine was earning up to 2400 dollars a week Hmm. which at the time, was the all-time record for highest per unit arcade earnings. Nice. I mean, yeah. I, I don't I mean, think this was a twenty-five cent game. This was likely a fifty-cent game to put into perspective. But that's still crazy to think that each machine earned twenty-four hundred dollars a week, fifty cents at a time. I mean, when you put it that way, Dave, it just means that half the people were twice as interested in the game. Uh, oh, okay. Just imagine how much it would have made if it was a twenty-five cent game. Oh, twelve hundred dollars. I don't know. I think it maybe not have. It may have made more because it would have attracted more people being cheaper. I don't think they had any problem attracting people. Literally, every time I went to an arcade, this thing had, you know, multiple people playing it. So, fair enough, Dave. Well, worldwide, in its first twelve months, it grossed over one billion dollars. With okay. A B. Okay, there we go. Yeah, so uh, needless to say, I don't think they were hurting too bad. No. <laughs> um, the last time I could find sales numbers for this game was in 20, 2012. And as of 10 years ago, it had generated a lifetime revenue of over $2 billion. That's pretty impressive for a video game. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of a huge number, especially considering it started as an arcade game. So is that just the arcade cabinet? That's just the arcade cabinet. That's but, really impressive. Yeah. When they did port it to the consoles, though, it did pretty well, too. Really? Yeah, it was actually the top-selling Genesis and SNES game in February of 94. Okay, all right. I guess that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was the second best-selling home video game of the entirety of 1994, just behind Donkey Kong Country. Oh, that was a solid game. Donkey Kong Country was that was a really good game, actually. I mean, yes, but considering this game was still number two the entire year, and so, well, I mean, it's a and it's just a, a you wouldn't think so, right? Because it's just a sports title. We don't. I mean, we both think of and we don't think of the popularity of sports titles in the same time. I definitely don't think like the Madden series, which is probably the well no- best known sports series, is as popular as it used to be. But, you know, it, they're still sports titles are still pretty popular, but I still wouldn't have put it. I still wouldn't put it at the second best selling game of the year, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I think maybe 
sports are more popular than we think. I know a lot of people talk about 2K and all of that. So That's true. I mean, yeah. it just kind of depends on where you're at, too, in the world, you know? Yeah, I mean, fair enough. People in... Eh, whatever. Um, but yeah, as of 2019, the combined Genesis and SNES versions have sold a combined 6 million copies worldwide. Not bad for a 1994 game at all. No, that's that's pretty impressive. $2 billion is just an arcade title and still 6 million <laughs> copies as a console version. I'd say this game did uh, pretty damn well. Yeah, well, you know, so let's talk for a moment about the legacy it left behind. It really popularized the phrase, he's on fire, he's heating up, people got that for that, and boom shakalaka, that's definitely from NBA Jam. I, I think we've probably seen that in some exaggerated YouTube memes. Um, sure, sometime, yeah. And probably most importantly, I think, you know, and we already kind of touched on it, NBA Jam was the first game to use the super exaggerated sports game formula. The, I guess you could say, arcade style of sports games. Because prior to this, all sport games were simulations. That was what everyone wanted to do was a, a simulation game. And, you know, this was really the first one that, um, this is really the first one that, that branched out of that. And it, it became a thing, to be honest with you. You know, we were talking about the NFL Blitz series. Like you said, you remember Blitz to the League. Um, the first one was NFL Blitz. That was a football game where kind of no holds barred you could fight i remember you could break bones that was the fun of it you could do these super huge hits that you could break bones and put players out um nhl hits was an nhl version of it mlb slugfest was a mlb version of it nascar heat no nascar what was the nascar one they did like a a power-up version that was like this see the funny thing is dave i have not heard of these titles before really yeah, no, I had no idea there was an NHL version or MLB or I'm NASCAR. I'm surprised, but I, to be honest, I've only played a couple of NASCAR games, so I guess that kind of makes sense too. But all yeah, right, but to to be fair, how many sport games do you play as a video gamer? Consistently, yeah, really, just NHL. Yeah, I mean, it's not that the sports as a as a genre is not normally your thing. I mean, that's, that's, that's fair to say. I mean, hey, we do play hockey pretty often, don't we, Dave? Yeah, we do. Uh, you, you know, there were others in this formula. NBA Ballers comes to mind. That's a street balling version of an NBA game. Um, I mean, they've done they've done stuff like this, but those are your big ones. There was one specific for each genre for the longest time. And, I mean, really, any sport title that was more arcade than then simulation wise can really trace its roots back to arch rivals and and nba jam and thus arch rivals there, there just weren't a lot of arcadey style games everyone wanted to be simulation which just got better as the, the technology could get better with it you know because you could always make an argument for like tecmo super bowl wasn't very realistic well it was about as realistic as those systems could handle you know absolutely um but the intent of NBA Jam and and Arch Rivals was to to not be realistic, and that just it stuck. This is this is where it stuck. Honestly, this is where the genre, the arcade sports genre, probably got its greatest contribution was with NBA Jam. It just kind of took off from there. So, so there you go. That's it. That's what I have to say about NBA Jam. Was there any soccer title like this? That's a great question. Uh. You know, we kind of had a funny enough to talk about. There was a kung fu soccer title on the NES, wasn't there? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. The super. I used to play them. We talked about them when we did the River City Ransom episode because it was they were done in that same same genre, and I think it's fair because those were arcade style sport games too that were okay. But this is the one that really you know the most popular because that one had an exaggerated volleyball game and that one had an exaggerated uh soccer game um 
yeah, super, super B bar, super something or another. That's not coming to me now, but that's a good question. I don't know if there's an equivalent of soccer. Someone out there is going to know and scream at me, but I don't know if there was a, a soccer equivalent of the this specific, like, because Blitz Hits and Slugfest were all midway games. They took that genre. I don't think they ever took a uh, soccer one because I don't think they ever had the FIFA license. I think that one stuck with uh, EA until recently. So could be a possibility for a new game. <laughs> yeah. But I do remember that there was that NES one that was done in that same universe that like they had superpower kicks. Like one was uh, a like. I don't even know how to describe it. It would make it was like a curveball that went super fast. And if it went through the goalie, it would knock the goalie unconscious. It was hilarious. Nice. Loved That's it. Good. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. So, but yeah, there you go. NBA Jam gave us exaggerated sports games. Well, it popularized exaggerated sports games, to be fair. So, yeah. Right on, Dave. Okay, that's all I have. That's it? That's it. That's really it. We learned about Midway. We learned about NBA Jam. We learn about a lot of things every week. And if you want to take a look more at what we learn in old episodes or see what we're going to learn about new episodes, you can do so by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com where we have a calendar of upcoming events, show notes, list of old episodes, our biographies, links to our Discord, links to our Patreon, and links to our social media. I am on Twitter as David is wrong. I probably don't tweet as much as people that follow me would like me to, but such is life. Rob, what do you do it on social media these days? I can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Awesome. Well, each week we try to teach you something new about the game we cover, what it took from the world as its inspiration so its roots are what it gave back to the world as its legacy. I touch base on all of them each week. Uh, and in doing so, we admit, let's be honest, when you teach people something, you learn something yourself. That's the beauty of teaching, right? So every week we recognize this by going round table and talking about our biggest takeaway, uh, what we learn each week. So Rob, what did you learn today? Well, Dave, I learned that this game as just an arcade title sold two billion dollars <laughs> yeah that's, that that's insane i just, know I, I, I mean I, I mean i'm not exaggerating like this was just this was one of those cabinets that people were lined up to play that it's just, just mind-boggling to me for knowing how games are nowadays yeah like you don't arcades. you don't hate i know well you don't have that basis a lot of people that are younger that are what you know that grew up playing games when arcades were dead don't really understand that concept that people lined up to play arcade cabinets and this was this was one of them this was one that everyone wanted to play it was it always had people standing around it and like you'd, you you the moment you saw someone walk away you'd like run to try to get out of the cabinet you know yeah, see, I, I missed that part, and that, that would have been kind of cool to get to see. But yeah, yeah, such as life as a youngin, you know, there are it's give and takes with it. Oh, I mean, gaming nowadays is beautiful in its own respect. Uh, we may not have the location and social aspect, but um, we're more connected now as gamers. I, I mean, let's be honest. Before, if you went to an arcade, you may have met a few people from your local small town. But nowadays, you could literally game with anyone across the world at a moment's notice. It's beautiful, really. Oh, undeniably. So. But, uh, you know, uh, get a lot of heat from the uh, the non-locals as well. So True enough. But anyway, enough about that. What about you, Dave? What did you learn today? I never knew this game took inspiration from Arch Rivals. I, I mean, I know of Arch Rivals. I've seen it in the arcades, probably played it. But I never... I never, I mean, let's be honest, when you play, when you come up playing games, you don't really pay attention to who makes what. That's something that you kind of learn down the line. I mean, for me, that's part of the, I get, I, I'm always reluctant to say this, but I guess in a lot of ways I can call myself a video game historian now because we've been doing this for a couple years talking about the history of video games. And I mean, that's what historians do, right? Um, so from that standpoint, you really don't pay attention to who makes what and everything until you kind of start to look at it academically. So you don't put two and two together. So for me, my biggest takeaway was learning that this thing was was 
inspired by Arch Rivals. And learning about the Smash Brothers Total Carnage connect- connection. I I know those games. I really liked Smash TV. It's a really quirky game that I loved. And I, I never knew that uh, Termel did that. That was all kind of stuff that was new for me. So, yeah. Well, Rob, right on. before I take it out of here, is there anything else that you want to... Uh, Anything else that you want to add? Um, about the game? No. No? No, not about the game. But okay. as always, I will take a second to say thank you to all of our listeners. You're all wonderful people, and we're glad you're taking this journey with us week after week. Yeah? Yeah, Dave. Yeah, man. You can give some appreciation, too, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone who listens. I, I appreciate you. It's... it's... I appreciate you. I get to learn. I get to learn new things about video games and you get to learn about them with me. And I think that's great. So, all right, Rob, well, I'm going to take it out of here next week. We're going to learn about the very first video game published by double fine productions. If you don't know who double fine productions are, well, we're going to learn about that too. Published in 2005, first coming out for windows, Xbox and a PlayStation two, Psychonauts is a 2005 platform video game that was made by Double Fine Productions. It basically was a retail failure, but eventually developed a cult following and is now recognized on lists, whereas it's talked about as one of the greatest video games of all time. So we're going to talk about Double Fine Productions, we're going to talk about the game, and we're going to talk about how public perception of this game kind of shifted uh for it to become a cult classic so join us again next week as we delve deep into your psyche on yet another trip down memory card lane do the thing nice